It's what we do, baby! This is Race Wars. Race Wars. I have the power! Yeah! How's it feel? With Kurt Metzger. You're out of your fucking mind, dude. And Sherrod Small. Saddle down, bitch. Race Wars. Welcome to the show, Race Wars. I appreciate you coming on. I know you've been busy. All good. You've been busy you been busy all this? How you how you staying busy during all this quarantine and then pandemic? Well, you know, we got lucky because the, the two major projects, the series that are up now in Discovery Plus, uh, only one of them required heavy travel, and even that was just the Bahamas. But we had done all that, all the victims' interviews before March fifth of last year, before they shut it down, and everything else. Quite honestly, we did remotely. I mean, you know, we have. I'm in the apartment in New York right now, but we have a home in Michigan as well. And I hunker down there and every day Amazon delivered more TV stuff. And right. you know, just, we're doing it remotely between the, you know, the YouTube and the TV stuff. And just, you know, you, like everybody else, you just, you figure it out, you know, and yeah. uh, it's been hard for stand up though. Stand up comedy. We just, yeah. How about you? What, how are you doing with that? I mean, we're back now. We started in, in New York City. Club started opening uh, April 2nd, and we did a couple shows. And um, I got shows every day now. But, yeah. Well, like we, usually, we usually record my podcast at Stand Up New York over there at 79 oh, right. Broadway. So, you know, I know those guys pretty well. And, and uh, uh, it's just tough, man. I mean, it's tough. I mean, able to do anything. Now, have you been talking? You've been talking about this Derek Chauvin uh, verdict? Oh, yeah. yeah I've been following it. We, we, covered it. we covered it on the YouTube channel closely. And... And I had um, some of uh, the George Floyd family on my show. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm tight on it. I can go anywhere you want with that. I enjoyed seeing the footage, first of all, the George Floyd family watching the verdict on oh, the, yeah. the living room. It looked like a, to me, it reminded me of an NBA draft. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's, it's you know, but it, it's, you know, to me, having covered law enforcement literally for 40 years, you know, it, it uh, it's I know no one in law enforcement, no cop, no federal agent who could defend that what happened there in any way. Yeah, um, it was criminal. And I have some thoughts on, you know, uh, you know, community policing. I mean, what happened? You know, it, clearly, that's a bad cop on a bad day. And a horrible tragic day, yeah. result. But it's it's. It, it, we can talk about it if you want, but I, I we're, however long you want to spend on that, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I know everybody were, well, you know, when you see, I saw everybody, every channel was talking about it as the verdict oh, yeah. came out from ESPN to BET to the Food Network. Oh, it's it was the story of the day. I mean, I postponed three conference calls in an interview just to watch it. And, it, you know, and you never know. I mean, I've covered these trials. I mean, I covered the Malice Green trial in Detroit back in the early mid 90s when, when the two cops were, were, uh, um, brought up on on uh, criminal charges for beating a guy over the head with a flashlight and he died. Right. And there, were, there were, it was even a slightly grayer case there because, um, you know, it was a beating and he was resisting and he was, you know, high and he had a bad heart and all this stuff, but it was, it was a landmark case then. And I got a chance to cover it as a local reporter when it happened. And then by the time the trial came around, I was at NBC and I went back to cover it for NBC for the network. For the I got to be honest, though, the stuff got so repetitive. Uh, everybody said the same thing, but I tuned into Tucker Carlson just to get a different spin on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can only imagine what the. What that <laughs> he said he, it happened because he was an anti masker. He should have had his mask on, George Floyd. That's what Tucker said. <laughs> <laughs> There's my white daughter. She woke up. <laughs> well, I did see that they revoked his uh, they revoke uh, Chauvin's bail 
uh, his bond until the, the sentencing. He's yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that's, that's probably wise on the part of the court. Um, there's I uh, I don't think there's any specific, uh, evidence cited for a flight risk, but you know, it just, it just, it's, it's the right thing to do for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. I think he might just try to just, uh, off himself. I mean, I don't know. Well, if I mean, I think that's, that's what you always think. I mean, yeah. if, if somebody's facing that many years away and they're aggravating circumstances, I mean, the, the, each of those, each of those counts, I believe carries 15 years. Um, and he could go concurrent or consecutive the judge could, but there are aggravating factors that could elevate that sentence greatly. Right. Uh, right. Up to and including the fact that, uh, you know, a child was watching and he should have been cognizant of that and that harmed that child by seeing that. I mean, a lot of, a lot of things go into it. In your opinion, do you think that this is like a, like a milestone case that going forward, police are going to think more carefully about the use of force? Or do you think this is sort of like a, one guy got made an example out of and people are going to continue to kind of business as usual? I think it is a, uh, it's a landmark case. And, you know, we see a lot of body cam video, yeah. police body cam video that raises questions about the integrity and the decisions made by police uh, especially when it comes to white officers dealing with black citizens. This was so far over the top in terms of the knee on the neck, the pleading, how this played out. And, and let me just take it back because I look at it from a, a slightly different, more analytical view. I'm big into the whole community policing thing. I grew up, you know, at a time when if they found you drinking beer, you know, the cop would say, okay, put my beer in my trunk and go home and I'm going to drive by. And if you're not there, I'm going to blow the siren and your dad will kick your ass. Right. So what happens if Chauvin shows up and he goes into the store and there's a ruckus. Now he knows George Perry Floyd, right? He's a neighborhood guy and he knows he's had his challenges. You know, he's a character and he gets the story and says, okay, it's a fake $20 bill. All right. Now that's not even something you would necessarily arrest. Exactly. Somebody for it. Right. He got tough. Cop got tough. What if you said, George, buddy, give me the $20 bill. Puts in his pocket. Or even for a show, lights it on fire with a lighter. And then buys him a pack of cigarettes. He's got a buddy in that neighborhood for life. You need yes. information, you need them for life. And then it's over. We're not having this discussion. That's community policing. Now, I know every cop can't buy everybody in the neighborhood a pack of cigarettes. I get that. But there are little things you can do along the way as a human who happens to carry a gun and a badge that can change the lives of people on a daily basis. And, and the thing is, I see this in New York City here, not far from my apartment. Cops are yeah. great guys and great gals who do this stuff uh, on a daily basis. I see it in small towns across yeah. America. It's not that hard to do. And so it is a responsibility of law enforcement um, in general and specifically in these kind of neighborhoods to have it in the back of your mind that you are a community law enforcement person. Right, I think we lost track of that in a lot of ways. I know when we I grew up- that day in Minneapolis, that's for sure. In Brooklyn, we had the uh, police athletic league that we always had the police officers as our coaches, our baseball coaches, our basketball coaches. We had uh, uh, parties every holiday at the precinct where they gave out you know, uh, gifts for Christmas. And uh, I raise money for those, those organizations now because sure. uh, in a lot of communities, they don't even have enough money to keep these things going. But that's one of the things that bond the community with the police. 
Absolutely. And, and it's, it's so critically important. And especially in New York, you know, you got 36,000 sworn officers yeah. in the subways and housing projects on the streets and five different boroughs, you know, having to deal with 8 million human beings. Yeah. Right. Now you're going to have some problems. You're going to have some issues. We've seen them, but you know, shockingly, given those numbers, it hums along pretty well. Now, yeah, during the protests, you know, they were unprepared for this sort of thing and for the backlash and what happens. And, you know, the ranking uh, chief of patrol gets on a knee in solidarity with the protesters. And so they like that, but everybody else in law enforcement says you never do that. I mean, there's, they were in a no-win situation on some of this stuff. Yeah. Right, some of it. And then you got people beating these people over the head with sticks. Well, if you're the police, you're not going to take that for very long. Right. And somebody's going to get their ass whooped. I get all that. But this, this gratuitous, I'm pissed for 14 years of people screwing around with me as a cop, and I'm going to take it on a knee on this day, and I'm putting the knee on the neck. That's just, it's, it's criminal. And yeah. the jury came to the proper conclusion on all three counts, in my legal opinion. I'm not a lawyer. I just play it. A guy on TV, but you know, it's uh, it's. I think it was a, a, the proper verdict. Proper verdict. Speaking of not getting a verdict, though, uh, you see your boy Putin still got a. Uh, oh. See, uh, still in prison. Navalny still in prison, and now they force feeding them. Uh, yeah, political prison. What you got? What's your thoughts on that? What's Putin? Well, I, I think it shows what happens when you have somebody uh, in power for so long and. Um, someone who has such a grip on power. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the old saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, you know, Navalny is a, is a thorn in his side and he's going to do everything uh, to make that go away. But do you think all the bubbling, there's a lot of bubbling up in Russia right now. You see a lot of protests. That we oh, that's, it's not going to last forever. I mean, he's not going to be able to quell the uprising forever. Right. You're going to, I mean, you can't do that forever. I mean, he's been... He's been very, very uh, adept at using his uh, uh, FSB training and, and the old, you know, KGB training to use whatever is at his disposal, and it is significant to quell any uprising or dissent. But it, it won't go on forever. It's I mean, some people do something. Has like a, Russia has a North Korea energy to it, right? Which I, I understand is not coincidental, <laughs> but they're both repressive and control the flow of information in and out. And yet even in North Korea, <laughs> information's in, like it's in, do you know what I mean? And, and you can't quite, and that's their form of dissent. So if that in the most repressive state on the face of the earth is happening there, then I suspect that we as Americans are actually um, underplaying, or maybe we are under knowing the level of actual dissent that's going on in Russia, like including openly. Well, I, the difference between North Korea and Russia is, you know, North Korea, you may have a horrible repressive regime, but it's a dopey guy who's running it. In Russia, you have a horrible repressive regime in some ways, but you got a smart guy who's got a lot of power running it. So it's, it's arguably more dangerous. But in terms of our perception, I, you know, I still think many Americans believe it's it's not their problem. It's you know long. I mean, are they wrong? Is it, it, our problem? it is our problem. I've well, it, it, it will be. Russia it will be if, if it's not managed. It's all our problem. And, yes. and when you get into a mindset of okay, we're going to be isolation isolationists and only worry about what's happening here in in, in America, it's dangerous. 
Sure. It's how Hitler got uh, traction. It's it's how we got um, into a position in the last administration where I think we lost respect in the international stage. Mm-hmm. And right. we need to be involved in these things. We need to be players in order to to have juice, and to have power, and to have influence over China, which is looking to clean our our clocks every day of the week against Russia. We you know we're not there to be uh, these people's pals, you know. But right. we do need the influence, so we need to keep involved in, and engaged in the, in the international community, whether it's whether the issues of the environment or law enforcement or human rights or anything else. But what does that leave us? Like, right, even right now, Biden is still considering meeting up with Putin in a, in a neutral country, but he's holding his opponents uh, in prison. <laughs> well, I, I think you have to meet with him. You know, that doesn't mean that uh, you have to agree or, or kneel down to the guy. Um, you know, Kennedy met Khrushchev, uh, and, and we have to deal with world powers, but it's how we do it. You can't sit in awe of this person and, and think it's great because this powerful man in Russia, you know, pats you on the head and says, Oh, nice, nice job, Donald. You know, you're doing great. You know, you, you gotta go toe to toe with these people. Do you think that Putin took the the election away from Hillary because he did have a Axe to grind because she uh, was nosing around in his business in Russia right before that? I think there is no question <laughs> yeah. that um, Russia had an influence in both the 2016 election and the most recent election. To the extent it turned the time, I don't know. I don't think anybody truly knows. And I've talked to people in the intelligence and law enforcement communities. And, and um, there, were, there was a lot at play in the 2016 election, but Russia was one of the significant factors, absolutely. Even in 2020, you thought? Oh, they're playing in there, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, now, they, you know, we were more watchful, right. we were more attentive to it, we were more able to, I mean, we knew how they did it in 2016, so we could guard against it, but you know, they're, they're crafty guys over there. You know, yeah, they are they also, because we all pay attention to the presidential elections, but I, we all know that they also involved in local elections around the country where they're trying to manipulate outcomes. Sure. I mean, that, that's part of the intelligence game, you know, and I guess they would argue that we do the same thing in, uh, in various parts of the world. And, and we do. That's part of the intelligence culture, part of the intelligence competitive game. We, we try to influence what's best for our country. They do what's best for Russia, Mother Russia. But, you know, we t- tend to, uh, most of the time, stand on the, the good guy side. and They don't always do that. Do you see Putin uh, getting out of office? I don't even know if he's in the in office. He's just Putin. Well, he's, he's <laughs> got a grip on it, power. that's for sure. I mean, he's, he's got a grip on power, power like I've never seen any leader ever in, in modern history. Unquestionably, yeah. and, and I'm not an expert in this in this uh, you know this area of the world, but I know enough to to see it when I when I do, and, and know that he's he's got a grip there. And and more important is I you know I speak with people on a daily basis, a weekly basis, who who are much more educated in the nuance of this situation over there. And, and he he's got a hell of a grip on power. He's not yeah. going anywhere today or tomorrow. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be damn near impossible to get him to just give it up. Is either he's dead or he still got it. That's how I see it's going to be. Yeah, because once you're out of power, the question is, how do you survive it? It's not just an ego thing or, right. or, or um, you know, I need to be the man. It's, you know, who's coming yeah, after me if I don't have the track yeah. in office. But also, he's wanting to be the man. 
I mean, <laughs> if I were a trillionaire, I'd be so the man, I'd be the man, and you, you know, I'd have a different horse every day. And <laughs> yeah, you'll be an oligarch. <laughs> I mean, every, every country must be on such high alert. Like the moment he dies is going to be such a dangerous moment in Russia and politics. Yeah, it's going to be like this immediate vacuum, and like it's gonna going to be crazy it's going to be like someone ripped the door off of an airplane well i mean i think if you're smart in that situation i'm sure he's not uh, uh this is not lost on him that yeah. the best way to ease your way out safely and comfortably is to have a successor whom you name mm-hmm. who will guard your best interests but does he have that or has he so far well, I, th- I, I don't know you know particularly who is the chosen one but anybody uh, who, who is uh, skilled at that uh, political gamesmanship would you know, you certainly want somebody to cover your tail on the way out. For sure. Yeah, but the thing is, the same things, the same qualities that he had to get into his position and ease his way up and skip people is something that he'll see in somebody else and probably take them out. <laughs> because well, you, you have to, ha- in his mind, he's thinking, I've got to have that option. You know, right. he'll, he'll keep some, some title and they can make it up as they go along over there. Their constitution mm-hmm. is more fluid than, than certainly ours is. And, you know, they'll come up with something and he'll be something for life and he'll go to the Dasha in the country and have his place in the Caribbean or wherever it's warm and safe and multiple layers of security and go live his life, I suppose. Uh, Do you think that, um, do you think that he, um, uh, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, (laughs) It'll happen. Not enough coffee for you today. Oh, yeah, here we go. Do you think that um, Navalny's life is in imminent danger, or do you think that it would be more dangerous for Putin to... Would he, is he more dangerous to Putin dead than alive? You know, that's a really good question. And, and um, you know, it goes back to the old saying, keep your, your friends close and your enemies closer. It I seems to me that you, you eliminate a lot of bad mojo if you let the guy do what he's going to do and keep an eye on him and, and monitor it. Yeah. Uh, just from a Mache- Machiavellian standpoint. But, you know, clearly they've got their thumb on this guy. They're worried about yeah. him. He's charismatic. He's smart. He's got a following and, and, you know, they're fearful. Um, they think they pulled something off. I, you know, I follow him on Instagram, like randomly. He's super active on social media. I know he's incarcerated now. So maybe it's yeah. like somebody doing it for him, but he has a massive follower. Oh yeah. No, he, it's, it's a big deal. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, uh, he's very charismatic, very popular, very popular. He's a good looking guy, right? Yeah. He appeals exactly. to like Western people. So, you know, yeah. they're so yeah. freaking yeah. weird, but he's he, whole package. Yes. I think, scared, though. I think Putin is scared. That's why they force feed him right now. Because if he dies in their custody, I think it's going to make it worse for him. Well, I think, I mean, you've already seen when he was uh, incarcerated, when he was poisoned, and we've seen that show before, too. That's a a very much a favored uh, uh, way of doing business for the FSB is the poisoning. Um, You know, people were upset and they rallied in in Russia like uh, I've not seen in a long, long time. It's exactly the thing. to come back, right? He came back voluntarily. He didn't have to come back into the country. He knew that they would seize him as soon as he arrived. Right. And I don't know if he knew that they were going to try him on these trumped up charges and put him in prison, but... Right. Um, he must have suspected. If, <laughs> if history yeah. is an indication, it's very, it's very yeah. grand for Russia. That's what they, that's what they do. You know. Right. But he had to put the spotlight on it. He had to go back just to put the spotlight on how awful it is. And it's like, if he got to sacrifice himself, I mean... Hats off to him. 
Well, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, you know, again, these guys can operate from overseas in a safe spot. And I mean, you know, Russian intelligence can find you anywhere. I mean, look at, yeah. you know, some of these guys get clipped in uh, London. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With relative ease. Crazy. So I think he forced the issue and uh, hope for the best. Well, um, speaking of tyrants, let's get on to this. Uh, nice. Uh, <laughs> Very smooth. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the documentary. Now, first, explain. I'm saying it right. Anision? Anision, yeah, correct. Now, explain him to the, the listeners and the viewers who don't know about him. Right. So Anision is a guy named Gregory James Jackson, although he changes his name around periodically. And he hit it big on YouTube very early. He did this goofy little video called I'm a Banana. And Tosh.0 picked it up and put it on television. And it launched his fame on YouTube. Tosh. And as one of the early guys, he garnered you know, millions of fans, followers, subscribers, made a ton of money early and got in when users were afforded toolkits and ways to exploit the system that later people didn't, didn't have. Shane Dawson was in on that. Right. Some other crown tech creators got around. So as his popularity skyrockets, he starts to <clears throat> really abuse, groom a number of fans. Right. Up to that's what it's fucking creepy. Yeah, yeah. So he's involved with Shiloh, who's an entertainer in in uh, Canada, uh, who we interviewed for the documentary. That's how how Discovery Plus. And that turns into a nightmare. He abuses her. He puts her on <clears throat> camera. She tries to leave. It's back and forth. Her mother gets involved. I was going through court records today on another element of this case, uh, police records, that is. And it, it, it's horrible what he did to her. And then after that, he marries a woman who is now transitioned into a man, his spouse, Kai. And they get involved in grooming and abusing a series of other young women, many of whom appeared on my YouTube show and then were interviewed for the documentary on Discovery Plus. And these girls are 15, 14 when he first get involved with 13, this guy? 14, 15, 16. And generally speaking, he was pretty legally cautious in terms of inviting them out to the house and having sexual contact with them. This is giving me big um, R. Kelly energy right now. Yeah, no, no. He, is, he has been referred to as the R. Kelly or even the Epstein of YouTube. Makes sense. So Let me hit first. Yeah. And I, I get involved in this with the YouTube channel, not realizing in the beginning how big of a deal this is. And all of a sudden I wake up one day uh, with, you know, 350,000 subscribers and millions of views. And so this, this gets to be thing. And, and people are coming out of the woodwork to talk about him. And ultimately we, we, did the investigation for Discovery Plus and, and some of these brave women spoke out and we did a three-part series and there's a fourth part coming out early next wow. month. I saw and you go to Is mm -hmm. House in Washington? Is that where the house was? Washington State, yeah. He was and not so I actually, happy to see you. He was not happy to see you, Chris. No, he was not. <laughs> I, you know, We've been in contact with him. We tried to do an interview. He wanted $350,000 and then he was back and forth and he wouldn't do it. And and he he, he is a great manipulator when it comes to all things digital. I mean, he can gin up a cartoon about you. He can, I mean, he created a massive misinformation campaign targeting me. And, and you know, like, you know, I haven't been targeted before. Come on. You know, it's certainly not afraid of this guy. So we go out there in January of uh, 2000 
to see if we can get an interview with him. We know he's been living outside the house and there's all kinds of drama and we finally figure out he's at the house. So I knock on the door and I can hear him inside. Right. So he's called 911 and the sheriff's department shows up. Now, you know, what do you think the sheriff's department's going to do when they see me there? I'm going to explain that we did this. We did it by the book. I was going to say knee on the neck, but not 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 a knee on the neck. <laughs> yeah, no, no not that. No, they, they, you know, I explained the situation. I said, okay, fine. They went to talk to him, and, and uh, um, one of the officers, uh, deputies, said to me, "We wondered how long it was going to be before you showed up here, because there had been stuff going on in the house. There had been trouble there, reports, right. and all kinds of things. In fact, he had a." His two-year-old child fell out of a second-story window, almost dying. And what? this is all going on. Yeah, this is when was all that? of this came out of that door knock, wow. you know, which wow. is just old-fashioned reporter work. Right. And so we get all these police reports up to and including that. And the creepy thing about the, you know, you feel horrible for the child, but two adults, two parents are home, and this child somehow gets upstairs and falls out of the second-story window, almost dying, serious injuries, survives things. And all the while this is going on, he's texting, texting underage followers of his. Mm-hmm. And he takes a video of the child in the driveway. So all this is adding up to this horrible case. He's under criminal investigation, both by the FBI and the local sheriff's department. Wait, he, he yes. took a video of the, a video of the child in the driveway? Yeah. On the driveway after the kid fell out the window. He doesn't go up and help. Yeah, takes takes a video. Oh, my God. Did he share that with his subscribers? What a vlog. He did not. He did not. Oh my God. Just for personal use. <laughs> or whatever. He's never explained it. Okay. So, you know, then, you know, the 911 call becomes public and this obviously becomes a craze. And, you know, we, we intensify our coverage of the story and ultimately we, we, um, we, we put the series together and, and we're not done yet. I mean, the, the investigation is very active. So who was it that brought Onision to your attention in the first place? How did you get involved with it? People from the internet community, the online community, you know, because of my work with um, the Predator Investigation said, you know, you should look at him, you should look at him, you should look at him. And finally I said, okay, I will. I mean, how long was that going on? Because I remember hearing rumors about this for years, there's been YouTube videos about it. There's been- Oh yeah, no, there, and and a lot of content creators had, had, had explored this and I had, some of them on my YouTube show. Right. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't the first guy to figure it out. People came to me and said, will you take a look at this? And right. so I did. And so what's, um, the, uh, what's Onision's. So, so has this had a law enforcement impact, this documentary? Yeah. Like what happened? Where's he now? Is he still what's free? He creep he's, he's, out he's free. He's free. They, uh, YouTube finally demonetized him. Okay. He actually took, you know, um, video that YouTube provides for its terms of service. They have a little cartoon, don't do this, do that. You know, it's like a good touching, bad touching video. And we <laughs> took that and we intercut it with his videos. And it was so clear and so embarrassing to YouTube that this guy just trampled over any semblance of a decency policy that they have that they finally demonetized him. And of course he was crying about that. But he- Or YouTube, YouTube- Where has YouTube been? Yeah, what is YouTube's actual, not just legal responsibility, but what do you think is their moral responsibility to protect people? If YouTube was his platform to reach underage people, you know, surely there must be um, so many cases like this that we don't know about. Absolutely. And, and I think that's a real question for YouTube and one that YouTube has been hesitant to answer. Now, they'll give you, in other words, Susan Wojcicki, who's the CEO of YouTube, has refused numerous interview requests from me. 
Um, sure, she don't want to see you. And in the, and in the document, YouTube, YouTube wouldn't even give us a official comment on the on the document. And they wouldn't uh, even make a comment. Not on camera. Yeah, no, they referred us to the terms of service, which is what we used in in the piece. And if you look at it in, in right. part three, um, I mean, it's it's atrocious what he got away with here. Well, how, how can they police who like? Who policing is like? It ain't like the actual police is policing. It's well, I, they, the police do. I mean, there have been prosecutions made because of bad behavior, illegal behavior on YouTube. But right. YouTube has wanted to create this open, creative society, you know, on their digital platform that allows people to do and say pretty much what they want. And some of it has been good. Some of it is is great for citizen journalists and and. And creative people who want to try. Look, I, I did 12 COVID shows, pandemic shows on, on YouTube because that was the quickest, best way to do it. We had people there from the restaurant industry, from law enforcement, from the medical community. We had things there that you couldn't find anywhere else on television or anywhere. I mean, it was they were great shows. And I was able to do that because I could sit at this table and interview a husband and wife ER doctor team in one side and in another side have their little kids at grandma and grandpa's house in Staten Island and then talk to a nurse at the University of Michigan Medical Center and then a restaurant owner down the street. I mean, we could do that mm-hmm. with YouTube. It's great for that. So but it also allows the opportunity for rampant abuse. Yeah. But is that YouTube's problem or is that society's problem? To well, I think it's both. I mean, I, look, I think, you know, there's so many users of YouTube on at the same time. And, and you would think that they could come up with an algorithm to do a better job of policing themselves. I believe they have the technology to do it. The question is, do they have the willpower to do it? And so far, the answer is no. Now, why wouldn't they have the willpower to do it? You think it's uh, monetary because they- they, they I think it's partially monetary. If Onision's making a lot of money, then YouTube's making a lot of money. Right. If Dawson's making a lot of money, then then, uh, YouTube's making a lot of money. They did demonetize James Charles just yesterday or the day before, which- uh, was lightning speed by YouTube standards. Uh, who's James Charles? Who's, James Charles is a famous um, makeup entrepreneur who's got a huge YouTube presence. He was involved in, in a lot of, uh, you know, high-end promotions, made a ton of money with his makeup line, was involved in other in- influencers. And Wasn't like a rumor with him and Kanye dating or something? Yes. No, oh, that was uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Star, I think, wasn't it? Oh, was, yes, that was Jeffrey Star. But you're 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 in the Star, same yeah. ballpark. Yeah, it's like yeah. similar. So so anyway, uh, James has been in hot water for allegedly contacting underage boys and doing things, and he has made a couple of different apologies online, and and they demonetized him at least the one YouTube channel temporarily. Um, just recently. And well, was he starting a little league team? Why was he contacting these boys? Well, do the math. I mean, he, he's 21. He was, you know, he's chasing underage boys for uh, sexual reasons. We're talking, uh, like, we're talking like 16, though. We're not talking like eight, nine-year-old people. Like no, but still underage. I mean, no, 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 100%. Legal. I mean, we're, we're. I'm looking at the story right now. Is it possible? Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, it's not like little league underage. It's like it's underage, underage. It's like, it's like R. Kelly right. underage. Yeah. Yeah, but illegal. 100%. In New York State, it's 17. So what we taught, where was he? And how in Pennsylvania, it's 16. <laughs> so, and yeah, in Oklahoma, it's 12, ain't it? Problems. Well, it varies state to state. But it's, it's uh, um, 
you know, he's based out West and, and these people are in different places, but it, it goes more than just the technicality of age. It goes to the, you know, the creepy factor of it. It's, yeah. it's, you know, because you've got so much money at such a young age, it's, you're, yeah. you're to explode other people and you're yeah. intruding into other people's lives and you're, you're, you're being a predator essentially. You're, you're, you're trying to coax somebody into doing something they don't want to do. And that's what makes it so offensive to so many people. And, and he's been yeah. a bad guy to people. I mean, all kinds of people, not just young guys, but other content creators, other influencers, other people in the makeup business. And now it's all sort of coming full circle. Well, now, do you think these people just go to other uh, like apps or other places? Because if they don't go to YouTube, they're going somewhere. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they go to, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of other options. And there are a lot of ways to make money in the digital world. And, you know, you can, you can do everything from uh, OnlyFans to, to all kinds of different platforms that are out there. And My parents face lit up on OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think that um, this was dealt with so, that the James Charles issue was dealt with so swiftly by YouTube, but the Onision drama, which has been going on forever and ever and ever, was so slow to have any kind of come up in. So you think it's because James Charles is gay or do you think it's because he's much more public? Well, I think he's apologized. He put himself out there and it made it easier for YouTube to make this at least interim um, decision because he sort of admitted. Right, Onision fought back. Onision fought back. They were afraid of Onision and I think Onision wasn't as much in the mainstream until we did the Discovery Plus series. Right. So does and, it make sense to fight back when you something and not apologize? That's what it sounds like to me. Well, I think it's it's not going to work for Onision. Onision is ultimately going to face, you know, the criminal charges he'll face. And it has worked he'll, for he'll fight, he'll fight and he'll be belligerent and he'll create these misinformation campaigns and, and uh, he, you know, he's, he's just a bad guy. But that's also like kind of the smart way to fight. If you're going to be an abuser, then dealing with the fallout in a millennial yeah. way instead of a Gen Z way, like Gen Z will get up there and be like, I'm sorry, I'm learning. But that gets advertisers out of there. because <laughs> yeah. The millennial way is to be like, fuck you. I say what I want. You have no proof. Show me the receipts. And then someone shows the receipts and you go, go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically what Onision's done. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. That's basically what Onision has done. Yeah. It's I mean, a different way of combating this. It's like a good strategy if you're Onision. <laughs> well, that's look, uh, you know, the former president did that. It, and it works for him, at least. Of course, that's how society is now. It's like a Twitter society. Like, that's how people roll. It's like, I can say what I want. I got freedom of speech. You don't like it. Fuck off. Yeah. And Twitter has become the central repository for that kind of material <laughs> behavior. I mean, look, I'm on Twitter. I get it. I exploit it for, for you know, to promote my shows, to promote the podcast predators I've caught to promote everything. But yeah. it, it's, it, it's shocking because if you look at Instagram, right? If I put it, I put a video out today promoting, you know, the, the next episode of the podcast and some comments on this episode. And, you know, on Instagram, it's like, oh, the goat, oh, this, oh, thanks for that. Oh, you know, keep doing it. Or how about looking into this? And you look at Twitter, didn't you murder two people in 1993? I mean, it's just horrible. That, <laughs> the stark difference between Twitter and Instagram. I didn't say this. retweeted that. Some of my Twitter haters will go to Instagram now. Like that. But, I mean, it's really, I mean it's, just, I mean, it's like when Jimmy Kimmel does, you know, has a guest on to read tweets, whether it's uh, you oh, know, yeah. Tom Brady or anybody else. It's, just, it's, it's what people say. It's just, 
you know, horrible. You know, I've got six kids. I've been doing this for years. It doesn't bother me. I know what I'm doing. It's, uh, it's so stark, you know, the difference. <laughs> yeah, people are fucking mean as shit. What can you do? So you think Anision's going to prison, though? That's what you think he's going to jail? Well, I, I think that'll be up to law enforcement. I, I know that there's a law enforcement investigation on two different levels. I can't predict the future. I know that it's been stalled because of the pandemic. I know it's been stalled because of the protests. I know how many cases are sitting on the, the desk of the prosecutor's office in that part of Washington state, and they're not getting to anything still that isn't, you know, a top priority felony, like a homicide or a criminal sexual assault. Now, there have been uh, allegations, you know, uh, surrounding sexual impropriety against him, but it's it's, um, you know, it's a perfect storm to let him skate for a minute. But he's going to skate. Exactly. I think he's going to skate. He got money. What's the What are the allegations exactly? And what's the statute of limitations on them? Like, what's the most recent one that he has to contend with? What well, there, there, are, there are a number of things ranging from um, transmission of inappropriate material by his spouse to somebody who is under, underage. Right. Um, and those pictures are in evidence. Phones are in evidence. Computers are in evidence. Grooming, harassment, assault—it um, it really comes down to you know, do the uh, alleged victims want to pursue it? And they—they they now do. There are some that want to pursue, it. and it's—it's it's difficult for somebody to put themselves out there. There's a whole list of people who have potential cases who just don't want to go mess with it. And is this and FBI? Is this the FBI or this? The FBI has one of the alleged victims. Uh, electronic material, and they're going through it. The okay. sheriff's department in that county in Washington state is reviewing it and investigating it and has talked to and will continue to talk to uh, potential victims in the case. So my gut is, yes, ultimately there will be some sort of a criminal case made. As a parent, too, how do you combat this kind of dumb shit that happened to your life? Well, I think I think it's that's a great question. And one of the reasons we decided to do the podcast, which is just, you know, taken off now is is because, you know, during the pandemic, um, there are more kids online, yeah. longer periods of time than ever before. Parents are busy doing their own things online in the same house, but in a different room. The reality is and think of this, the first predator investigation we did was 17 years ago. In Bethpage, Long Island. At that time, we had decoys in chat rooms for AOL and Yahoo. That's it. Well, today, imagine the explosion of social media platforms uh, that has taken place in yeah. those 17 years. Snapchat, uh, Tinder, and, and uh, all the other communication platforms. And, and it, it's more prolific than ever before. We did a predator investigation. This will be part of the new television series. And, and we do some of this on the YouTube channel too. have a seat with Chris Hansen, but in Michigan, right? 17 years after the very first one, we still had a guy show up who was a prison guard, a guy show up who was a cop in Lebanon, wow. a guy who had, had done contracting work inside the governor's mansion. This is the governor who was the target of the kidnapping plot. Wow, and we had a guy, an engineer in the auto industry. This is just in a couple of nights in Michigan. And we've got, you know, a lot of other things in the works along those lines because it just has not gone away. I honestly thought wow, that after we did the first couple that no one would show up. Right. I wasn't even sure anybody would show up in the first one. <laughs> wow. You know, I was in, in the studio today recording, I don't know, episode 13, I guess it was, or 12 or 13, and, 
and about a guy who showed up in Flagler Beach, Florida. And you, you suddenly you immerse yourself back into it and you remember all the emotion and the drama and what was happening. And right. then you go to figure out what's happened to this guy since then and what's the impact been on his family. Where are they and now? Yeah. Damage. And, and it, it's, it's been a fascinating study. And now we have people coming forward who, you know, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, we had the daughter of a predator, Daniel Allen. You know, and she talked uh, about her life and how especially her mother and, and, you know, she was nervous. That, did she inherit any of this monster DNA? Oh, that's and interesting. It, just, it was really, uh, go back and listen to it. it it's, it's, you know, it's all on. That's what on I wonder, Apple like, after doing it for 17 years, like, do you run into the guys and they go, hey, no hard feelings? <laughs> well, we're going to find out because I've, I've reached out to a bunch of them. So we'll find out, you know, uh, some have died, some, some have taken my calls, but don't want to, you know, relive it. Right. Um, Do you think so after with all, all the stuff you just said, you said not even sure if people are going to show up, not like Borat style, not even sure if they're going to show up after you air the first few episodes, because now we know who you are, but they do repeatedly over and over again. And, oh, like, yeah. you've, and you've this is this has been hugely popular. Like you've got podcasts, shows, documentaries, this, that, like, honestly, this is probably evergreen. Like you're probably never, ever going to run out of material. Do you actually think that this is a solvable problem or is this a forever how people are with people who are- well, I think it's, I think it's a forever problem. It's how we manage it, right? right. So right. if you look at it like the drug right. problem and we're looking at it from a demand reduction standpoint, it's more difficult. We know how to reduce demand for drugs. You get people help and treatment and you offer them a way out. Uh, we don't just- warehouse them like we used to. Um, this, this same is true for, for predators, except that there is a certain subcategory that cannot be helped, that you have to incarcerate. You got to incarcerate. Now, what, uh, now, you ever thought about Predators International? And if so, what country do you think it'll jump off the most? Well, I think anywhere. I mean, I don't anywhere. think- you damn right, anywhere. You're damn right, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people have been clamoring for years for us to go to different countries and do it. And, uh, you, but you don't have jurisdiction. Is this a, is a jurisdictional issue? Like, or jurisdictional issue class, as so much like, as it is, you know, is it, um, you know, is it legal in some countries to do it? I see. You know, we, we have right. you know, laws that allow us to do it here, and that's not yeah. the case. And, right, right, right. Even the UK, it would be challenging. Now, the show is a hit in the UK, and I'm right. massive fans in the UK and and uh, in Australia and throughout the world. But you know, it's it's. It could be against the law in some of those countries, and and the truth I is, I think UK we, we have popular. enough to do I'm be jumping off over there. So what are okay. we not? What are we not doing in terms of demand well, reduction? That I, I, I think I think it's you know part of it is so. Look, I think these guys, and I'm not a therapist. I just play one on TV. But there are three categories, in my opinion. There's the the young guys who are opportunists who maybe are socially awkward. They figure, well, if I were to find a 14 year old girl who's hot, I could get this going, and in a couple of years it wouldn't be illegal. Right. Um, those guys, can be, if they get arrested, they can be sternly spoken to and put in a, a program monitored and probably not reoffend. They'll be scared straight. Right. There's a, the hardcore guys who would be doing this with or without the internet. Those guys will never be fixed. And there's this interesting category in the middle who probably wouldn't be engaging in this behavior without the internet, the addictive nature of it, the 24-7 access and the anonymity that it brings. Right. And these guys are the more interesting group psychologically, psychiatrically, because um, some can be fixed, some can't, and we don't know. So what risk are we willing to take? These guys? Right, right. Um, and so it, at the end of the day, it comes down to education and monitoring and creating a dialogue and awareness that, that didn't exist before. And I think that's the key thing that we've done with all of these investigations. 
happens. And I think that if you can get into the mind of a criminal, especially in this case a predator, and understand a little bit how it works, you can better protect people uh, from becoming victims of a predator. And that's why, you know, when I do these interviews with these guys, it, it's easy to jump out of a back room or out from behind a bush and create, you know, 10 seconds of dramatic video. The more challenging part and the thing I've always tried to do is to engage them yeah. and get them to talk. And often you get these moments where you can just see the guy. Yeah. And he either realize he's gotten, you know, and he might as well just give it up or he has this profound sense of getting this off his chest and he'll tell me why he did what he did and, and how long he's been doing it. And has he done it before? Yeah. What, so I don't know if this question has been asked, but I feel like it's such an obvious one. Where are these kids' parents in all of these situations, the Onision situation, these predators, whatever, where are these kids' parents? Is it reasonable to expect parents to, can parents have even- A lot of times they work. A lot of times they work in, they sleep in. Oh yeah, and, and sometimes, look, sometimes parents just don't think this could happen to their kid. And what I That's tell it. those parents is that, you know, back in the day, the rule was don't talk to strangers and that's fine advice. And, and that's outside but the, the house, problem is online. The, the guy who's a stranger today is so adept at grooming your kid. He's not going to be a stranger on Friday of this week. They have a way of wheeling their way, way into it. And Onision did it. Uh, every online predator does it. And, and that's how it works. So, so it comes down to edu. You got to monitor your kids, and you have to start the discussion early with an age-appropriate talk about, you know, there are adults out there on the internet who want to trick kids, and that's how that's it's true. and they're and good. You at elevate it. that as they get older, and and kids don't want to be tricked, and that's where the discussion starts. Yeah, yeah. Even when they playing Fortnite, you got to be all involved. You got to. Well, that's you know, the thing. I mean, you know, again, I go back to, you know the discussion about being in Georgia and having a fire in Silicon Valley and um, um, Yahoo goes down. We're out of business. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't have a chat room. And so now that wouldn't matter because it's, it's, it's so easy to get on any one of these platforms, right? right. You know, and, and, uh, and have a discussion and to initiate a discussion. Right. Um, you have to talk to the kids, so it got to be education. Yeah. But I got to touch on my uh, white boy Rick, too, before sure. we get out of here now. Oh, Chris, you went hard after white boy Rick, boy. You went after him. Who's white but boy? Was, I know it was a sexy story. You know the story, okay, Karen? No, I don't even know who white boy Rick is. Okay, explain that. Uh, Chris, explain to the listeners. So, white boy Rick was his nickname for a fellow named Richard Worshey Jr., who right. was in Detroit, <clears throat> and um, his dad had been involved in various dealings and had selling guns. Uh, he'd been an informant for the feds. And so Rick becomes an informant for the, the feds. And, and like 14, 15 years old. Yeah. 15, 16, 14, 15, 16. And, and so he transitions from being an informant to trying to make it as a, you know, big time cocaine dealer in the city of Detroit. As and so he gets busted at 17 years old and he has this nickname White Boy Rick, I come across it. That was a reporter in Detroit for 10 years in the 80s and early 90s. My apologies and, for that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm from Detroit. I mean, it's, it, I know, it's so great, great place to be a reporter, great place to live, great place to be a reporter. All right, but, um, man, get back to your story. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I get what you're saying. But uh, so we do the story in 86, 87, 88 and beyond and, and uh, later the network and kept in touch with Rick. And 
Rick was sentenced, even after all his cooperation with the feds, he got sentenced after being busted um, under the draconian Michigan drug laws. It's ridiculous. To mandatory life in prison for having mm. over 650 grams of cocaine. Now, he ended up doing 30 some years and there was no reason for him to be away that long. And it was very no reason for him to be away that long. It was bigger it. drug dealers. It was a real, the brothers were bigger drug dealers than him. They out right. of prison before him. The yes. guy who killed everybody was trying to kill him. Who oh, killed yeah. like 20 people. He's out of prison before. Rick. All true. All but true. it was all because the political the problems that be the mayor and that dirty cop from Beverly Hills cop with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> that dirty oh, Gil, cop. Gil Hill, I know. They, I, I, Gil I know. Hill had an in for, the, for Rick, and it's like they wanted to kill Rick, but they're like, we're going to keep him locked up. And you know, they didn't even consider his parole to after Gil died. Like, and then the right. assistant attorney who. What, what, is, had, it, what does that tell you? Gil, what does that tell uh, you? Yeah, what does that tell you? It this was, was one of the dirtiest. You know, people, you know, people can say what they want about being aggressive and reporting about White Boy Rick. No reporter in Detroit is responsible for White Boy Rick getting that sentence. No. White Boy Rick got the sentence because the powers that be sentence based upon the conviction and the powers that be were were not going to help. He I interviewed Rick, right? I was the last one to do a TV interview before he went away. And it was at the the lockup at the US Marshals facility in Bay City. Yes. And, and that was it. The last because he could Michigan wouldn't let you do any interviews. I was scheduled to do an interview with him when he was in the witness protection program behind bars. And they said to him, if you do this, we're taking you out of WITSEC. And I said, Ricky, this is not good for you. You know, so we never did the interview because how are you gonna survive? Ultimately he came out of that and back in the state prison. And that's a long detailed story, but you know, Rick blames a lot of people for his plight. Um, the only ones responsible are those in political power who wouldn't give him parole. When he deserved it. Yeah, when he deserved and, it. And, and I've interviewed him, you know, over the phone and uh, satellite radio shows. And, you know, he was locked up so long that my son, who's a reporter, interviewed him yeah. when he was working in northern Michigan near the Manistee prison where he was. So, you know, Ricky, Ricky totally uh, got a hose on this. And I got to say this, though, uh, Chris, I got to be honest. It was impressive to see these black people with all this power in this city. <laughs> Even though well, they were using it for bad. <laughs> look, you know, and Rick did a Rick was informant on a case that that uh, led to the indictment and arrest of a dozen Detroit cops, including the chief of security for Mayor Coleman Young. Um, I was at a raid. Had. I was at a raid yes. at the home of Kathy Volson Curry, the mayor's niece. And when the, the FBI niece. went, I wasn't at the raid. I learned about it after the fact. Uh, but uh, he was in bed with Kathy Volson Curry. Yeah. White by Rick at yeah, 17, kind of 17 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And and he talks yeah. about that. I mean, these people were celebrities to him. I mean, he he, he was used by everybody out to the stuff. He, Rick cops out to the stuff he did with The problem was that that one of those early parole hearings is they had people testify that, oh, yeah, he may have been convicted for this one drug case, but he was good for this. He was good for that. He pulled a gun on me for this or he was responsible for this crime or that crime. Well, then charge him. Right. Right. Charge him. Charge right. him. And put him on trial and convict him of that. Then send him to that. But the Service reality was, whatever he did or did not do, and I'm not. Aaron, at one time on. they had when he had a court date, the mayor they had all the thugs come on his side of the court with him, saying, "Hey, Ricky, we with you." He's like this. Hey, guy, what are y'all doing here? Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna make me look guilty. <laughs> well, they're, they're, you know, there's there's some nuance. There's some nuance to that story too. I mean, you know, everybody likes to fix up their image after the fact, and Ricky, Ricky's <laughs> different, right? But, 
you know, um, that documentary that Sean Reck put together, who's a great filmmaker out of Cleveland, yeah. just came up on Netflix. And so the whole story has gotten a, a big uh, boost. And is he's uh, finally out though, right? He's, he's out. out. He's living in he's living in suburban Detroit. He's very active with uh, who Ricky is? former inmates. Yeah, Ricky's very active with groups. So of he's out of Florida inmates. now. He went to Florida prison. He went to Florida. Here's what happened. He got dusted up on a deal. He was pretty close to getting out. He was in state prison. Then he got dusted up on a deal where allegedly he was involved with some guys who were selling used cars. And some of the used cars had questions about the title and everything else. And and so, you know, they jammed him on it. And so he had to do some time in Florida for that. But then now he's out. He's out living with his family. You know, he looks healthy. I I haven't talked to him. You know, he takes... Rick takes turns being mad at people, and, right. you know, out of once every few years, he's mad at Chris Hansen or he's mad at Kevin Dietz, a reporter. I love him. I don't know this guy, but I'm obsessed with him. Oh yeah, no, it's, you should watch the documentary. Watch the documentary. It's a good documentary. Excellent documentary. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on, Chris. Did you have fun on the show? You like the show? This show, I love it. Yes. <laughs> I'll come back anytime, anytime. Okay. And when can where can people find the documentaries that Joe and all the stuff? When can so uh, the documentaries Onision in Real Life and the other one, which is very compelling and oh, um, important to see, Unseemly: The Investigation to Peter Nygaard, who's the multi multi millionaire fashion mogul, who's probably one of the most atrocious predators I've ever covered. Uh, yes, the Nygaard. Uh, yes, he had a lot, a lot of, of money. Jeans at any department store like Dillard's, you you gave him money. But he had a he had a fifty year history of of rape and sexual misconduct involving thousands of women, and it's yeah. eye opening and shocking, up to and including that you know he was impregnating these teenage girls in the Bahamas and forcing them to have abortions, according to investigators, and harvesting the stem cells for his fountain of youth. Crazy, crazy stuff. So, so that's out there now too. A bad guy in a James Bond movie. Oh, that's that's really just about it. And when you when you see that documentary, and I was one of the executive. I watched some of that. Yeah, that, yeah, that was heavy. Crazy. So, um, is he Canadian? Is that right? He's a Canadian, Finnish descent. Canadian. He's in jail right now in Winnipeg. They right before we uh, launched the documentary, um, they indicted him uh, here in New York. His, wow. his American headquarters is here in New York, and the task force and the grand jury indicted him here. And then um, he's being held up in Winnipeg uh, pending extradition. And that hearing is not till November, shockingly. But uh, he's got a lot of money and people were very worried um, that he didn't try to bolt with a private plane and everything else. But we, you know, we've got all kinds of video and insight into the case. It's, it's really, it's wow. like nothing else I've ever worked on. So those two shows are on Discovery Plus, the podcast, Predators I've Caught on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your podcasts. YouTube, Have a Seat with Chris Hansen. And uh, more predator investigations on TV and the YouTube coming. Wow. Yeah. What a brand. Staying busy, baby. Anytime, guys. Really appreciate it, Chris. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Take care, sir. Take care, guys. Bye. 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 Karen, you want to do some plugs? Yeah, you do your pluggies. Sure, you can find me at Karen Margolis on everything, K-E-R-E-N-M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S, Karen Kardashian on TikTok. And check out this video, if you're listening to this on audio right now, on YouTube and leave us some comments, like, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating. Yes, and catch me all week. I'll be at the Comedy Cellar, New York Comedy Club in New York City, 
all week. Go to ComedySolo.com and uh, check out my new show, uh, Tracy Oliver Show on Amazon coming in the fall, baby. She uh, wrote uh, Girl Trip, so, you know, I'm gonna try to trace uh, Tiffany Haddish my money. So yeah, <laughs> check me out on Harlem, Amazon uh, this fall. Nice. Peace. Bye, guys. Thanks, Chris. See Thank you guys. You. Thanks again. Cheers, guys. Grace Wars. We're back.